morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. We are back with another Neurodiversity Stories with your host. My name is Darren Clark. So why do we put these shows out, guys? And it's purely for you to spread more awareness around neurodiversity, but also get some amazing people in to also share their stories, but also their knowledge around neurodiversity. So guys, as always, we couldn't do this without you. So please do let us know where you're tuning in from. As said in previous shows before, we get people from all across the globe, Australia, Poland, Argentina, Kenya, America. So please, if you are watching this live, please feel free to, to drop in uh, your name, who you are, you know, kind of what you do. And it'd be fantastic to, you know, to also connect with other people around the neurodiversity sector. So with that said, we also have uh, an amazing guest today. We have my really good friend, Vic, Vic Williams, who's do, who is doing phenomenal, phenomenal work within this sector. And I'm absolutely thrilled. I know how incredibly busy he is. Uh, so when he said, uh, gave the opportunity to, to come on, I grabbed it with both hands and said, yes, <laughs> it'd be amazing to grab you. Can I have you for 45 minutes? And he said, yes, uh, that was, <laughs> that'd be absolutely fine. So you are going to love this guy. I'm sure if you're not connected with Vic uh, at the moment, then what's happened uh please do connect with him he is doing incredible stuff he's also doing um on linkedin live as well which we're going to touch on um as well his broadcasting his message his business the whole kind of ethos on this what we're going to be uh, just to give you kind of a synopsis of what we're going to be talking about and we're going to be uh, talking around uh, the understanding of dyslexia from a neuro neuroscience perspective easier for, for me to say uh, how it impacts businesses and personal development. I think, you know, specifically talking about personal development, overcoming self-doubt, working through the things that people have said about dyslexics, creative thinking, getting comfortable reading in public, setting personal development cha challenges and accountability to a group of people who care. And it is going to be an absolute jam-packed uh, 45 minutes of talking to Vic. So um, I will be bringing him on shortly. So guys, as I said before, if you are tuning in, let us know whereabouts in the world you're tuning in from. It's always good to, to hear from you guys. The other thing I'd like to say is a massive thank you as well to all of our previous sponsors that have sponsored these shows. And I also want to say a massive thank you to uh, our current sponsor, uh, Clara Wright and Helper. And uh, they've been absolutely phenomenal. And I just want to share with you guys this. If the thought of writing essays fills you with dread, then you need Claro Writing Helper from Claro Software. Our intuitive, easy-to-use software takes the stress out of essay writing by giving you seven clear, easy-to-follow steps to help you organise your thinking, develop the flow, capture snippets from documents and websites, and produce great essay content. Contact us today to start your free 15-day trial and say goodbye to essay writing anxiety. So guys, a massive thank you to Clara Writer Helper. All of their details will be all in the blurb underneath. If you're watching this later on uh, replay or on YouTube or listening to it on the podcast, please do check out the blurb uh, for more information on how you can get hold of that incredible company and their software. Guys, without further ado, this is what you're here for. You're here to, uh, to hear the conversation with myself um, and Vic. So I would like to introduce you to my good friend, Good morning, Vic. How are you, my friend? Hey, Darren. Good to see you, buddy. Awesome to be here, man. <laughs> and just like that, you're on. Like this. 
Like we've never had a problem before. (laughs) (laughs) No, technology has always been kind to us. uh, Absolutely. And that's what we've been saying for the next 44 minutes. (laughs) Vic, I am absolutely thrilled. You're a great friend of mine. Um, We connected uh, quite some time ago on uh, on LinkedIn. I've been an absolute, um, a massive admirer of the content you're putting out, the work that you're doing. Um, Honestly, you know, every time I see your post pop up, uh, I'm always kind of intrigued and reading and watching the video and stuff. It's, it's, you know, it's always educational, entertaining. But for people that don't know you, um, <laughs> it would be great if you could just give a, a, a little bit of a kind of uh, a little bit who you are, a little bit background. That'd be amazing, my friend. Um, yeah, Darren, firstly, thanks very much for inviting me on, on your show, man. I, I, I love your intro. I love all this kind of stuff that's going on, man. It's just like, it's so pro. It's like, wow, I'm, I'm on this guy's show. It's like brilliant. <laughs> So yeah, we we met um, a little while ago, um, and and obviously we've stayed in contact since then. Um, but me, um, my background is obviously I'm South African, not a New Zealander or an Australian, like I've been accused of recently. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, so I I live down in Exeter, um, and I run my business called the Audacious Training Company. We have a variety of different things that we do, uh, primarily in the area of neuroscience. Uh, or neuro coaching um, is is one of the primary areas we're involved in, and then we t- talk a lot about um, uh, leadership management, sales, uh, LinkedIn, those sort of things from a training perspective. But primarily uh, involved in that area of neuro coaching, um, with a with a with a kind of focus on um, people that are, are in the neurodiverse community, uh, but. I mean, pretty much anyone we'll talk to and and share these ideas around um, neuroscience and that sort of stuff. But from a from a background perspective, I kind of left school probably. Oh, I don't know. Uh, for the South Africans, if there's any South Africans on here, you'll know I left school in standard eight, which is probably um, two years sooner than I should have. Okay. Um, but it was the the first opportunity that legally was allowed. Um, uh, right. Because I just yeah, I, I grabbed hold of it. I was out of there, man. I was I wasn't going to stick around longer than I had to because I I literally hated going to school. Um, I, I uh, somebody put a put a post up um, yesterday. I think it was on LinkedIn about the new school year starting and you know how do you feel about it? And I I can I can be honest with you, Darren. For me, the new school year, which in South Africa starts at the um, kind of on middle of January, because uh, okay. obviously right now is, is winter there, so out down there our school years are slightly different. Um, December was great holiday; it was always summer holiday; it was awesome. But then starting school in January for me was just oh man, it was a night nightmare. I absolutely hated yeah. it. So uh, yeah, got bailed out as soon as I can uh, could. Um, Started working, uh, spent a, a bunch of months uh, laying on the beach, um, surfing, grew my hair as long as I possibly could, and then went off to the military for six and a half years, wow. um, and then just you know uh, carried on from there, and and been here now in the UK for just over ten years. Amazing, Vic. Uh, I'm gonna uh, yeah. that. Thank you so much. That that's a uh, that. Thank you for you know breaking. It's almost like this is your life. You're going to just break things down. But, uh, it's really good to you know to to get the perspective. Um, and I, if you don't mind, I kind of just kind of touch on a few of the, the the things that you mentioned. Of course, when we talk about um, you know the kind of the the school element of it and that kind of you know how you kind of hated that going back to school. You know that kind of January kind of um, you know that feeling, that kind of pit in the stomach because. 
that that it's the build up as well, isn't it? That would have been uh, yeah. you know really kind of <clears throat> because you know the, there's 24 hours in the day. We know this. This uh, and and the amount of time that you spend in your own mind thinking about the in the anxiety starts building up and that yeah. kind of what was the kind of thing the thought patterns that went through your mind you know because obviously you know you're a very courageous person very driven and in, in what you do what gave you that kind of drive to just you know continuously you know battle through it yeah so i was um i had a like most people of a, a kind of challenging um upbringing uh, there was a whole bunch of things that went on and um, at, at one point in my life, um, so I had a very fractious relationship with my father um, uh, and, and, and a similar kind of fractious relationship with my mother. Um, uh, there was a whole bunch of things going on. Um, and uh, I remember one particular day um, I'd had this, this um, physical disagreement with my dad. And um, I was sitting in the corner really feeling sorry for myself. And my grandfather, my grandmother and grandfather lived with us. Uh, and my granddad came over to me and he said to me, never, ever let him beat you. And it was, it was kind of not the um, beat you kind of from a physical perspective. Yeah. But it was all of that included. So it was the physical, it was the mental, it was the emotional. Um, all that sort of stuff was what he was saying. Never let him beat you. And, and kind of that started a train of thought going in my head. because. Up until then, school had been a challenge. Um, you go to school because you're dyslexic. And that time, I'm talking about the, the late 60s, early 70s. Um, this thing of, of um, uh, dyslexia, uh, I'd never heard of it. Yeah. Um, I didn't know it existed. Neurodiversity wasn't even a, um, a thought in somebody's imagination. You know, So it, it, was a, a, it was that kind of environment that we were in. And so going to school, um, you were stupid. Immediately, you couldn't read, you were stupid. Game over, sit in the corner, suck it up, you're dumb. And you kept on being putting down into lower classes. And, and so you kind of got this, this idea, you're stupid. And when my granddad said to me, um, Vic, don't let him beat you. It was kind of, uh, I, I had a great relationship with my granddad. And so it was kind of that, um, it set a chain of, of thoughts going in my head, even at, at the age of seven. And one of those thoughts was, I will never allow anyone to beat me. Full stop. Yeah. Um, that got me to a, a few sticky spots because um, I, I, I started an adventure. I call it an adventure at that time, trying to understand why I was the way I was. Um, and obviously, there was no internet. And so Encyclopedia Britannica was the the big thing. And, and yeah. um, I had to convince my grandparents to buy Encyclopedia Britannica when the guy came knocking on the door. Um, and instead of letting my, my dad beat the guy up because he wanted to you know sell something to us. Anyway, um, <clears throat> I kind of started this adventure trying to understand why I was the way I was. Why was I stupid? You know, um, and and slowly started to understand. Uh, I just think differently. Yeah. Um, and and so then um, when I just shortly after my thirteenth birthday, I started my first business. Um, and so starting that and getting it going and seeing things happen gave me that that encouragement to say, well, I can do this. You who are being educated, you who can read well, you can't do what I can do. So yeah. I can't do what you can do. You can't do what I can do. 
And, and so it started to build this thing inside me. Um, I will overcome this thing in whichever way I want or in whichever way I can. And so, um, by the time I got to the age of 16 and, and I now could leave school, um, like I said, I was out of there as fast as I could. Um, I don't even think I wrote my final exams that year and, and I'd already repeated a year. So in those days you could, you, you, yeah. uh, if you didn't, if you didn't pass your exams, you failed and you stayed back a year. Yes. Uh, and so I'd already stayed back a year and I, th there was no way I was going to do that. And, 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 um, anybody that objected to it, I just, uh, sorry, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. And kind of, I built that, um, that underlying thing of, I will overcome. No yeah. matter what I've got to deal with, no matter what I've got to go through, I will overcome. And, and I think that's one of the things that I've found as I've continued to research uh, neuroscience, uh, dyspraxia, dyslexia, all those different neurodiverse environments, I'm starting to see that that's something that seems to underlie most of the people who have kind of worked through the challenge. Yeah. You know? Um, and so for me right now, I don't see myself as living with a condition. I'm living with myself. Love this that. is who I am. If you don't like it, great. If you do like it, awesome. And and I, I've kind of, I think I've kind of built that. that absolutely. That and I guess, you know, because the the work that you do within the sector, and, and I find it as well, and I know we've spoken about this when, you know, I was a, a guest on your um, yeah, yeah. podcast and, and things. It, it's amazing that you never really know how many people you're helping with what you're creating, because it's not it's not tried and tested every single time. It's kind of you put something out and then you'll get, you know, and I'm sure, you know, we spoke about this, the map, you know, private messages that you would get from people kind of just reaching out. And and, and that's phenomenal. And, you Absolutely. you know, it's 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 humbling, really, isn't it? When you yeah. feel just because you've put a uh, not just but you put a bit of content out or you you give it a bit of your story or something and then some, it relates to someone and they feel the confidence that they can kind of, you know, bring that out. Absolutely. And, and I can see whenever we speak to someone, it always, uh, this is why, you know, I created neurodiversity stories. You, I know you're a big story uh, lover. I love stories. And, but I guess around the neurodiversity, you know, dyslexia, dyspraxia, autism, all this, there's always seems to be um, a story that resonates with someone to why, you know, how they are today, you know, that, that, that pattern and that growth, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, um, you know, for me, everybody has a story. Yes. No matter who you are, if you were born at some point, which hopefully if you're alive, you were born, born at some point, um, you have a story. And that story is valuable. And that story is a story that can change and transform other people's lives. And I think it's important that we hear those stories. Yes. But I think when we come to talking about people um, that have dyslexia or dyspraxia or any of those neurodiverse conditions... I think what's happened in the past of that is that story has been sidelined until that person really makes it. So, for example, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, Elon Musk, okay, he's dyslexic, okay? So nobody really probably took him seriously in his early life until suddenly he burst on the scene. Now the story is important. What I think we are seeing now, though, is that there's a change in this thing. As more people are stepping up and saying, this is my story, 
more people are saying, I want to hear that story. Yeah. And the story is now becoming more and more relevant. Yeah. And I think it's it's important because I was speaking on somebody else's show a little while ago talking about children in school and and the way they are often treated. I mean, I mentioned my story and, and, and I know your story as well at school of that thing. You're stupid. You're dumb. You've got nothing relevant to, to add. You're not going to amount to anything. Yada, 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 yada. Um, you, you know, sort of go off and play sandcastles kind of thing. Yeah. Um, that unfortunately is still happening. Unfortunately, we still see that so much in school because not because the, I think it's, I don't think it's because the teachers don't want to help those kids. It's just, they've got too many kids in the class. They, they don't have the opportunity. And so, um, and, and because of the way they are, are kind of judged, I suppose, is um, they've got to focus on the higher performing kids um, because that's where they're going to get that kind of thing. And so that story for those kids gets sidelined. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think as more of us start to share our stories, it encourages yeah. those kids to start sharing their stories. I, I completely agree that you, you know, you hit the nail on the head, and and you know, wonderfully put. And and it is, it is right. It's almost some people, I guess, need to feel. Well, I'll share my dyslexia story. Say, for instance, if if we just take dyslexia, when I become successful, or yeah. when I feel that I've achieved this, or when I have a certain. Um, you know, status that yeah. enables, you know, and I think one of the biggest pressures, I think, when we, you know, we we need stories from all different perspectives of, of, of the world, okay? And and yes, we can have the, you know, the celebrity uh, side of it, but we also need the everyday person. We also need, you know, there's so many different aspects. And this is why I love listening to everyone's stories, because I, I used to think, you know, I'm a big fan of, you know, Richard Branson, Elon Musk, you know, these things. I mean, if you're, you know, you run a business or you're intrigued about business, then you're always going to kind of look at these people as these kind of superheroes of business, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But then if you've got it, I always think if you've got a student that is struggling in school and struggling to read, struggling to, to write, struggling to communicate, uh, literally communicate, get out how they're feeling because they don't really understand the, you know, the words moving or the, the, the stress that's kind of the anxiety that, that's coming around. And then they find out they have dyslexic and they say, oh, you're dyslexic. Don't worry. You can be like Richard Branson. I mean, the, the expectation yeah. put on, you know, and I'm not saying that they put that expectation, but I'm a big believer in dreaming big. Don't get me wrong. Uh, build big, dream yeah. big. And, and, and I'm not saying that they couldn't be the next Richard Branson. That, But sometimes I think the gap seems to be too large, too far, yeah. you know, to say, okay, you're struggling to read, you're struggling to, to do this assignment in class, yeah. but you could be the next billionaire and fly to the moon. Yeah. You know, it's, I think sometimes yeah. it gets a little bit muddy, doesn't it? I, I think it, it does get it does get muddy, Darren. And, and, and to just pick up on that point, if somebody had said that to me, um, let's say, for example, I'd been diagnosed with dyslexia when I was, say, 13 or 14, and, and a teacher came to me and, and said to me, hey, Vic, don't worry, you are dyslexic. That's great. You can be the next Richard Branson and fly to the moon. That wouldn't have meant much to me because I don't want to go to the moon. Yeah. So I don't want to be Richard Branson. Um, I want to be me. I want to know who I am, why I am, and what my purpose here is. And I think that's where telling ordinary people stories can give those younger kids, those younger people, those younger adults, even the, 
um, you know, the archaic older blokes like myself, the courage and the encouragement to say, no matter what the issue is, there is a plan for you. There is a reason why you here. You're not just here to suck up oxygen or to uh, take up space. You're here for a purpose. And I'm going to help you find that purpose. You know, I'm going to draw you in um, or, or you can just look at what I'm doing and you can go, hey, I want something similar. And if I think if if we instead of saying, hey, you can be the next Richard Branson and believe me, I'm 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 an entrepreneur. Um, I've got no problem with with people growing massive businesses and making massive amounts of money. I've got no problem with that at all. But I think if if I want to encourage somebody. I would rather say to them. Let's understand you. Let's understand what you want, what your passion is, what that thing is that drives you. And, and go back to myself as a 13-year-old. Um, I had to figure out what it was that I wanted from life. And I, I can remember clearly the day sitting down and thinking to myself, I don't want to work for somebody for 40 years, 40 hours a week, and then... After that 40 years, somebody goes, here's a gold watch. Thank you very much. Hasta la vista. And six months later, I'm dead. I want to experience life. I want to live life. I want to do stuff that other people maybe don't do or don't want to do. I want to live my life. And I think that's kind of the message that 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 I'm trying to encourage other people like us to convey. Be you. Be the best you can be. It's Man, it's exciting to have a brain that runs all over the place all the time and picks up different ideas. Man, it's so exciting. The world becomes alive, you know? Yeah. Other than this, this kind of blinkered view that people often have. Do you think we naturally, uh, is it kind of um, a human instinct, I guess, to naturally try and relate something to something? So we then say, okay, so it's dyslexia. So, you know, you could be Richard Branson. Is it? Do you think that's a, a natural trait that we have? <laughs> As humans, yeah, I, I think it is a natural trait to to try to encourage people to um, to be that big next superstar. You know, um, it's a, it's a I think it's a natural thing for us to go. Um, so he's this elevated kind of position. He's this guy. You know, he's up on that pedestal, and to say, um, I think it's a natural thing for us to say, reach to that pedestal. Yeah. I think that's a natural thing. And I don't say it's wrong. I just think we could we could change the conversation slightly. Yeah. You know, no. aim to be a rich and the next Richard Branson. But in yeah. aiming to do that, be you. Be the and best you you can be. Absolutely. And and concur that massively, Vic. And and, and I think we, you know. If I mean, we've got onto the topic of Richard Branson purely because of you know the dyslexia, and you know, he's yeah. a you uh, brought it up, you know, <laughs> I did, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. thanks for reminding me that. <laughs> but we I lost my train of thought now, no, yeah. um, but we we and he does share, uh, you know, on his his blogs his kind of dyslexia journey to a certain degree, and yeah. you know, and I guess, and I, I guess it's always, um, you know. We're in very, you know, intrigued. Ask a lot of questions. You know, now we do. You know, in, in school, I always remember. I was thinking, I, you know, how does that work? You know, why am I sat in a car and it's it, I can move around, but if I was going at the same speed outside, I'd have flies hitting me and everything else. You know, I was always the, the kind of, you know, the, the why kid. Um, yes. And I guess when I got into school and kept, you know, put my hand up and asking and asking, 
the questions that I probably asked as a child to my parents yep. were, you know, they were very patient um, and, and said, yeah, you know, and answer some of the questions. But when you get to school and you ask these questions, they almost, I can see the confidence for me kind of got knocked out of me because Absolutely. that that element of asking those questions and then they're deemed, you know, it's that, three, that, that phrase where they say, no, no question's a silly question or something yeah, else. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. In school, it felt like most questions that I said yeah. was a silly question because you'd either have your peers kind of laughing or the teacher doing the kind of, yeah. And it's a very, you know, it's a very tough environment. Absolutely. On top of that as well, trying to learn, like you said, who you are and why you can do the things that other people are doing at that speed or in that way. Yeah. I, I, it, you're so right, Darren. You know, um, like you say, parents are often um, uh, patient. Um, I had a perhaps a slightly different position. My grandparents were very patient. As I said, they lived with us. They were very patient. They were very um, uh, communicative. And I, I think that my granddad was probably dyslexic. But, you know, it, it's just, I think. I can't prove it. Yeah. But he was really patient. We used to sit and talk a lot. He told a lot of stories. Um, some of them, I don't know if, even know if they were real. But he told a lot of stories. He communicated ideas through story. And so I asked, I, I became very inquisitive. And, and it's from that conversation or those conversations that I built a passion for the Second World War and uh, to understand how it worked and all that sort of stuff. And so I, I developed that, that why, but why that, why that, why did they do this? Why did they think like that? Why did they think they could win here? Yeah, yeah you know, um, and, and again, I, like you, translated that into school. But very quickly, you start to realize, hey, they're laughing at me. I'm asking a question, but they're laughing. And you start to think, no, maybe I am stupid. Yeah. Maybe I should know this stuff. And unfortunately, what happens is, yes, you get the teacher rolling their eyes backwards. And then you go out into the, um, the break time area. And uh, you may be having your sandwiches or whatever. And there's always a group of kids that's, oh, he's stupid, he's stupid, no, 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 no. And, and, and that kind of um, breaks your confidence down. And so very soon you get to the place of where you're not asking questions anymore. Yeah. I, I, think, I think to a degree, maybe I just had a very thick skin um, and, and took a lot of beatings, but I carried on asking questions, you know? And, and, and you're absolutely right, Vic. And, and, and I feel it separation for me because there's this you know there's this conversation around kind of the educational system where uh you know should they take children out of lessons and then you know to give them extra support or yep. should they you know and i say like i've said on on numerous times on these stories i take my hat off to teachers it's an incredibly difficult job especially when you have 30 children in a in a room everyone learns differently and then to try and control that um and inspire is you know yep. i take my hat off to them and I feel, you know, the biggest thing for me, I guess, from my school years was the separation. You know, I spent, uh, you know, all five years of my uh, secondary school in, you know, the thing called unit, yep. which, uh, you know, was that a awful trailer in the background. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and, but it's not sometimes so much sometimes being in the unit, it's walking to the unit. It's grabbing your bag and leaving the 29 other children to then walk off, to then do that kind of lonely walk to the school playing field. And there was windows all around the, the side of the school. So it was almost like, you, you know, um, like a like like a goldfish bowl in yeah. some aspects, because, you know, and I'm not saying everyone was kind of staring out the window in this, but 
when you get into that repetitive pattern of that that separation, mm. but then you're taken back. You know, the bell would go, and then you would come out of the unit, and then you would go back into uh, the you know the, the school field and start yeah. playing football and stuff like this. That <laughs> the separation um, was was tough. Yeah. Uh, so in our school, we didn't have a, a, to that kind of thing that you had. We had what was known in amongst the students as the stupid class. So you, you the classes were graded um, A, B, C, and D. Um, and D was the dummies, the dunces, uh, and the stupid class. And so all of those kids that probably were all dyslexic or had dyspraxia or had some kind of neurodiverse condition were just jammed into that class. And we were all called lazy. We were called stupid. On my, I cannot think of how many times on my report card said, if only he would work harder, he would be a better student. How do you work harder than you working already? You know, it, it, it's just one of those really dumb things. And I, I do take your point, and I agree with you. I could never be a teacher. I uh, just uh, don't even put me there. <laughs> it would be a nightmare. <laughs> so I I've got a huge amount of respect for those people that are teachers in schools and colleges and so on. But that separation, that you're in the stupid class, um, man, that creates a nightmare. Because we weren't um, – so we'd walk into school. We'd all have this, this thing in the morning called assembly. We'd all get in, in junior school, we all stood in lines in your class. And then the headmaster would stand at the front and he'd give this whole blurb. And then you would lead off in your class to go to your classroom for the day or, or where, wherever you were starting uh, a class. And it was always the D class in the grade we were in that always left lost. So you were left behind and everybody else went off and then you would go off. And it's that same separation thing. And everybody's walking away and they're looking at you and going, that's ah, stupid class. That's what I mean. There's, there's so many, like, it's, it's sublime. You, you don't even have to say it. It's yeah. that it's creating Absolutely. this divide yeah. and this, this, I mean, it, it frustrates me when I, you know, it's sad in me, I guess, and because I can kind of relate to, you know, to, to this, um, you know, kind of what I went through and what you went through and, um, you know that kind of separation uh, side of it is yeah. when you um, when you left school. You know, had the opportunity to, to leave school because I can imagine if you were similar to me in in that sense. And I'm not putting words in your mouth, but the restrictions of not being able to think the way that you you know to to kind of really kind of harness your skills or you know kind of do what you needed to do in schools. There was a for me, I felt there was a massive restriction. You know that I couldn't learn the, the way that they wanted me to learn. I couldn't give the reports back to how they wanted to. I couldn't sit Absolutely. the exams and so on and so on. So on. Yeah. The minute I left school and I was you know left school with no qualifications, but I was so eager. And when I got my first job, and I was kind of almost asking a few questions and they were answered. And, yeah. and but I felt like the shackles of being kind of lifted, so to speak. And, yeah. and I just had this kind of like, if I actually physically work hard or if I do this, this and this, I can progress and I can do this and, and I can be creative. Yeah. Did, is that kind of how you? Absolutely. Yeah. It, so I left school, as I said, uh, probably two years too early, but it was the first opportunity legally I could leave school. So shortly after my 16th birthday, I was out of there, man. I, I just 
I was gone. Uh, and we all had, we had school uniforms. And, and I can remember that last day taking my school uniform off and actually throwing it in the bin. Wow. Um, that's how much I hated school. Yeah. Anyway, we, we, um, uh, I, I got home. And the very first thing my dad said to me when I saw him was, okay, what are you going to do for a job? And kind of at that time in South Africa, you had, you had a number of options. Um, and those options were, so we had conscription, uh, military conscription. So you had to do every, every male had to do two years or every white male had to do two years of national service. Okay. If you didn't want to do two years of national service, you could go and do five years in the police force. Okay, so those were kind of your options okay. if you left school early. You could go into the prison service or something like that, but those were kind of the best two options. And I thought to myself, well, I'll apply to the police first, which I got rejected because I couldn't read the exam that they wanted us to do. Um, and then I applied to go to the military. So military service started uh, January and July, if you were going to do national service, which was the two-year thing. Um and I applied to go to, to the permanent force, which started in April for me. So um, my first thing was, okay, I can now, I'm free, the shackles are off, I can do my own thing. Um, but, but I had to, you know, as I left school, it wasn't kind of that thought that went through my head, I can, I'm now free. It was kind of like, okay, I'm going to the military in April, what am I going to do until then? And I got a part-time job working with a company that did oil analysis. Okay. And um, my, my job with the company was just, um, I mean, this is before the days of computers and fax machines. And so my job was um, to, to take the, the telex machine, tear off the ribbon, take that ribbon off to the, um, the, I don't know, I can't even remember what it was called, but the machine that you'd feed it into and it would actually make sense of what was on that ticker tape. And that was my job. Um, and very quickly, I started thinking, but if I do it this way, it's going to be quicker. If I do that, that's going to work better. And again, like you, I started asking questions. Yeah. And I, I remember the guy that employed me saying to me, why are you asking that question? I said, well, I think it could go faster. He said, really interesting. Nobody's asked that question before. Well, can we do it that way? And he said, yes. And that was my first experience of somebody going, you're not stupid. You just think differently. And, and that kind of launched that thing off. And then when I went to the military, um, I didn't have to do that much reading. But I'd learned in the military because, um, I, yeah, there was, there was a lot of things that they did which allowed me to learn a different way of reading. Yeah. Because there was no pressure. You know, when you're at school, you get a, a thing, you stand up in front of the class, and now you've got to read this thing. And... Uh, as we know, dyslexia is a reading disability. Uh, you just got to reprogram your brain to be able to read. And in school, you're under pressure to read, 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 get the words right and understand it. Yes. And if, yeah. You know, it, get it done, get down, sit down, shut up. Whereas in the military, um, they didn't expect that. Um, and I, I think it had to do with there was a number of different languages that were. So you had English people and Afrikaans people. And so English people didn't tend to read Afrikaans as well as Afrikaans people did. And Afrikaans people didn't read English as well. So we kind of accommodated each other. And um, in that accommodation, I learned to read slower. And to accept that reading slower didn't make me stupid. 
Yeah. But it allowed me to insert inflection into, and I didn't know what inflection was. I didn't know what language was, but I realized that I could say things in a different way. I could expand a word. I could yeah. use those those vocal tools that, that we had, or I, I had, to read slower and actually help myself to understand what I'm reading. So for me, I think the military was great in that regard. And, and again, that's something that I would always encourage people to do is find a way. I mean, I love reading now. I still read very slowly. You give me a book. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm reading a book. It's about yay thick. Um, I think I started reading it, and it's kind of a, a novel type of, you know, um, I think I started reading it about a year ago, and I'm, I'm about 30 pages from the end. So, yeah, it takes me a long time to read a book. Snap. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, just find ways that, uh, for me, I t let me let me just say this to you, Darren. Yeah, for me, the worst thing somebody can do is send me an email. I absolutely hate the damn things. Sorry. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I hate it because I, I struggle to read it. And it takes me time to read it through and actually understand what people are saying. Rather just pick up the phone and call me or yeah. I will call you. Um, but again, with that, I've learned people send emails. I've got to learn to read them. And so I've got a little uh, app on, on uh, Google Chrome that reads it for me, yeah. which is great. So um, I think, you know, there's all these kind of things that we can learn once we leave school to help us to accommodate ourselves within the environment we're in. And, and that's the, I, I think that's one encouragement I can give to people. You know, um, somebody said to me the other day, I'm sure dyslexia goes away as you get older. Fact is, it doesn't. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a different way in which your brain is developed. And uh, so here, here's the thing that I, I, I discovered a little while back. Reading is not a natural habit for human beings. Our brains were never designed to read. Okay. So if you if you think of this, how long ago did reading start? Not all that long ago. Okay. And and those people that did learn to read, they were the very educated people. The ordinary people only started reading what 200 years ago maybe. So our brains were never designed to read. And what's happened is as we started to learn the skill of reading, three areas in our brains had to adapt to accommodate the ability to read. And it's in, in two of those three areas that people with dyslexia have a different development of that area. And that's why it's a reading disorder. It leads to so many other things. But it's just a reading disorder. It's not a stupid disorder. Yeah. It's not a foolish disorder. It's just a different formation within your brain. Really interesting, Vic. I love that. Um, it, it, I really do love that. It's incredibly interesting. And I guess, you know, if we broke down reading, I guess, you know, what we're really trying to do is just trying to communicate, aren't we? And, and I guess, yeah. you know, we're trying to communicate a message, you, you know, a story or a feeling or whatever it is that we're trying to do. We're just trying to communicate. And it does seem sometimes That's when you try and break all these things down, we we, we overcomplicate things sometimes. Yeah. Um, and, and think, well, actually, that is the that's the only way. If you want to read a book, then you must purchase the book. 
or <laughs> go to your library uh, and, yeah. and read it page to page, and yeah. and that's it. You know, yeah, that's not the only way to read, though, Darren. No, I know exactly what you say. So here's the thing: the three areas of your brain that are involved in reading. One is involved with sight. Another is involved with hearing. Another involved with speaking. Those are the three areas that are involved with reading. So those those areas, that's what they were designed to do. One to, to help you see better, one to help you hear better, and one to help you speak better. And so if we think of it, everybody in reality has a reading problem. Because reading is not a natural thing for us to do. It's something, it's a skill we've had to learn. And so if we think of it from that perspective, people with dyslexia can then say, and this is what I've realized a few years ago, if I rather think of myself, everybody has a reading problem because everybody um, had, had brains had to adapt to be able to read. Cool. So all I've got to do is learn to adapt in a slightly different way. Wow. And, and then I'm taking myself out of this position of I've got a disability into that position of I'm actually normal. And so are other people. I'm just normal in a different way. Yeah. And and I think you know, one, of the, one of the things I often find with, with, with people is they say, you know, I've got dyslexia, therefore I can't do this and I can't do that. Absolute nonsense. You know, some of the some of the most creative thinkers I've I've come across in my life are dyslexic. So you 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 know you can okay if I'm normal just in a slightly different way. So how do I use that slightly different way to think about this thing differently, which? kind of goes back to the point you were making earlier about leaving school and suddenly you were you weren't restricted anymore in the way you thought than the way you did things kind of goes back to that here i am i am normal in a slightly different way which means that when i look at something i'm not constrained by the box everybody else who thinks they are normal are constrained by i can take that off and i can go what about looking at it from there or what about this? Or how does that? And by doing that, creative thinking happens. Yeah. And that will build. I mean, I'm, I'm I'd rattle off at the mouth with anybody. Um, you know, I I'd, I'd love to talk love about that. this stuff, but it's 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 just thinking differently about even dyslexia. So I'm doing a huge amount of research. And don't get me wrong, I am not a neuroscientist by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not even a scientist. I, um, I've done some courses on neuroscience and I'm doing some more. And I'm really into the whole idea of uh, neuromarketing and neurosales and all those sort of things. But I want to understand and, and communicate this idea that, hey, you might have dyslexia, but you are normal. You can do normal things, just slightly differently. Yeah. And the whole world opens up. It's, it's amazing. It, it, um, that, that, that element, Vic, when you say it, it almost leads to something else, doesn't it? You know, I'm dyslexic. I can't. I'm, you know, neurodiverse. I can't. I have dyspraxia. I'm, you know, dyscalculia. Uh, and, and it almost aims with a, a can't afterwards. Absolutely. Um, and, and I guess that's way, the way that we're conditioned. I guess yeah. in that yeah. we need to either apologize that we can't do something or it's a, 
or it's a a, a fear that we may be judged or, or this? Have you have you found that, Nick? Abs absolutely, absolutely, Darren. And that whole thing of I'm being judged, therefore I've got to apologize. And we start with that sentence: I am dyslexic, or I am, I am, I am. And the implication is. I am, so I'm making an excuse, therefore I can't. I'm excusing who I am in front of you who appears to be normal. And I'm saying to people, don't find an excuse. Don't make an excuse for who you are. You're a human being. You've got as much value, as much intelligence, as much um, everything that everybody else does. Let the world see that. So instead of saying, I'm dyslexic, Change your way of thinking and going, I'm normal, just think differently. Wow. Now I'm not finding an excuse for why I can't. Now I'm finding an excuse for why I can. Yeah. And and, that. and and that's the thing that we've got to change in, in business. You know, so many business people say to me, oh, Vic, you know, I can't employ staff because I'm... No. No. Change your way of thinking. I can employ staff because I am slightly different in my way of thinking, slightly different in my way of doing. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a very touchy feely kind of guy. You know, I, um, I like nothing better than a good man hug or, or, uh, you know, a good hug with a friend or meeting a client. Hey, give me a hug rather than shake my hand. You know, I'm, I'm just that kind of person. And, and, and if you, you know, if you, if you um, kind of apologizing or something, yeah, just tap me on the shoulder. Say, hey, bud, I'm sorry. I'm, that's, that's me. And, and that's what I do with other people. It's because I think differently. And that's okay. Rather than putting people in a box, oh, I can't do this, can't do that, can't do the next. Just, you know, accept people. We're human. We've got value. And, and I think by starting with the, the sentence, I am there, and then leading on to, therefore, I can't. Hey, we need to kill that conversation, man. Vic, such powerful stuff, honestly, my friend. And 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 do you feel that, because um, obviously, you know, to get to that stage, um, you know, like you said, you developed quite a, a thick skin. I, I did uh, also, although I'm exactly like you. I'm quite an emotional person in, in those aspects. And I, and I love, a, you know, a, you know, good chat and all these other things as well. But how important would you say then it is to, you know, to be surrounded um, by um, supportive people, but inspirational people, but also just a network of people. And I'm not saying it has to be, you know, the best business person, but it could just be a good friend. It could be anything. That How, how important do you feel that support network positively? That, that, uh, Darren, you're so right. That is not just important. It is critical. Um, it, it's crucial to who you are and who you become. It's crucial to what you do and why you do it. It's crucial to your own self-esteem. And, and, and it's not just for us in the neurodiverse community. It's true for everybody. Yeah, there's a saying that, that, that uh, years ago uh, I heard that said, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Yeah. And if you, want to, if you want to improve, if you want to grow in your self-confidence, if you want to grow in your skill in reading, if you want to grow in your skill of business, hang around with those people who are where you want to go, but on one condition, they are willing to pull you up with them. You know, so often we, we, we hear people say, you know, hang around with positive, motivated people. 
and you get around those kind of people and they're positive and they motivated and they yeah, yeah everything's great and then you ask them a question and they like what are you asking that question for just take my motivation you know buy my book blah, blah, blah. <laughs> we don't want to hang around with those people because they're involved in their own environment rather hang around like you said hang around those those friends find those friends who who care about you who who want to see you be the best you can be who don't yeah. care about um you wear glasses or you might stutter or you might um not hear hear very well or you old or you young they don't care about that they they want to be around you because of you yeah and they want to help you up that road with them those you hang around with those people man alive life changes you know, um, I think there's a there's a bloke on here that um, that that's on the um, on the call today, Ashley. Ashley Lee. I, th yes. I think Ashley's still on here. Hey, Ashley, if you are there, um, great to see you, my friend. He put um, a lovely comment up for you. He said, "Loving how you articulate these simple things. Great work, Vic." <laughs> uh, let, let me tell you, if you want to if you want to hang around a bloke that is always up for helping you up, hey, hang around with Ashley. You know. Um, I know Ashley well. We've been around the block a few times. And Ashley is one of those good, good people that you want to hang around. Now, Ashley's not a superstar. He's not a billionaire. He's not, you know, he's just an ordinary bloke who has a care and a compassion for other people. Those are the people you want to hang around with. Find those people. Yeah, hang around with, but then you be one of those people too. Spot on. So as they're pulling you up, you pull them up. Don't pull them back down to you. Push them up. You know, just... You be that, you'll find that. I always remember um, this. I, I can't remember when I heard it. It, it was years and years ago. Someone said to me back the kind of, I think it was when um, I was at the seaside. Uh, it must have been my my um, my uncle or my dad. I can't remember specifically. And we were doing kind of crabbing. Um, yep. And, uh, you know, we uh, kind of, you know, pick the crab, you see the crab, and then you put it back in gently. Okay. Yep. Um, now, with, with regards to the crab, I always remember seeing this crab trying to crawl out of the, of the bucket. And, and as it, literally just went to go over to the side the other ones grabbed up grabbed it and pulled it back down exactly. and they said you know and, and later on in life i kind of seen so many analogies about you know that you know that you know as you're trying to watch those i can't remember the actual terminology but it's kind of the ethos is you know people seeing your success and then pulling you back down and success yeah. could be you know deemed in so many different aspects yeah. i'll remember that kind of growing up this kind of allergy of surrounding yourself by those people that's not just going to keep pulling you yeah, and, and, and you know, that that's a major problem. Um, and it, it's true in every country. It's not just here in the UK or uh, in America or South Africa or whatever. Every country has that problem where people, and, and it kind of works like this uh, in, in my view, and, and this is my humble opinion. It kind of works like this. Um, people look at you and they see you grow. They see you growing, kind of you climbing that ladder. And they want to do it themselves, but they don't want to do what it takes to climb that ladder. And so they think if they pull you back down, and subconsciously, this isn't a, a kind of a conscious thing, but it's, it's subconscious. If they pull you down, then you're at their level, then you don't make them feel guilty. Yeah. And, and it's kind of the same as true with us in business, with us in life. There are those people who will push you up because they know you're going to pull them up. And there are those people who pull you down so that they can use you as a stepping ladder to climb themselves. Or they want to pull you back down to their level so that they don't feel guilty about themselves where they're at. 
and, and, I, and to go back to my earlier point, get around those people who are willing to push you up or pull you up so that you grow as they grow. Those are, those are the blokes you want to hang around with, mate. People just like you, Darren. People oh, just you. like you, my friend. Because, <laughs> listen, I've I've watched these these lives that you do, and I've watched the stuff that you put out. And there, there was a, that year that you did all those videos every day. Um, <laughs> and sometimes I wanted to slap you in the face because you were so encouraging and motivating. But that kind of doing that kind of stuff, you're picking people up, you're pulling them up, you're making you're making them excited about life. I love, I, 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 I honestly, you, you get good days, you get bad days, but I honestly see life as a gift, uh, you know, and, and learning and enjoying and meeting and in all these different uh, aspects, you know, and, and, you know, like I said, we're, you know, we're here to, to enjoy uh, and experience. So, so, yeah. right. Vic, we are, I said this going, this will go really quick and I could talk to you, my friend, for, for absolute hours afterwards. We're coming to kind of uh, our, our allotted time. If you could just tell uh, people how, um, first of all, massive thank you for, for taking time. Thank you, mate. Um, if you could just tell people, I'll put all the links of anything that you would like people to connect with you, but how, how do people get hold of you if they, they want to connect? Um, firstly, Darren, thanks very much for inviting me, mate. It's really been great chatting with you. And and I know that the the next cup of coffee that you and I have together will be the first one, but it's, it's going to be a long, long, long day. <laughs> it cer certainly is. Uh, I can't wait. Uh, but yeah, if, if anybody wants to get hold of me, um, it's quite easy. I'm all over LinkedIn like a cheap suit. Um, my, LinkedIn, my LinkedIn profile, just type in Vic Williams and I've pretty much come up at the top. Um, that's the easiest way to get hold of me. Send me a direct message. I'll have a conversation with anybody. Um, you can go to my websites. They're all busy being revamped at the moment. But VicWilliams.net um, is is probably the main website that that I, I'd encourage people to go and have a look at. And we can go from there. Yeah, have a conversation. Happy to do that. Awesome. Well, I'll put any links that you want me to do. All yep. uh, guys, if you're all listening, um, please do connect with Vic. Incredible, incredible chap, doing incredible things. Um, please do connect with him uh, and uh, you know see the amazing work that he's doing going forward. Vic, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, having you on this show. I will catch up with you soon, my friend. Have an amazing rest of the Friday and uh, an amazing weekend. And I'll see you soon, my friend. Take care. And you, buddy. Take care. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. So guys, that was Vic. I hope you enjoyed that just as much as I did. An incredible, incredible chap. A very good friend of mine. Please do connect with him. Like I said, all the details of how to connect and see the wonderful things that he's doing will be all uh, in the blurb, the blog, the details, wherever, whatever it is, the terminology you use. Guys, again, we can't thank you enough for your support. If you are watching this on replay, please feel free to, to drop us a line and let us know that you watch this. And again, a massive thank you to everyone that's watched this on live. Huge thank you to Clara Writer Helper as our sponsors. We'll be back next Friday with another Neurodiversity Stories. Take care, peeps, and I'll see you soon. Cheers. Bye-bye.